Father, as we begin this series together this morning, as we look at the different parts of our church covenant and what it is that we are renewing our commitment in together, we ask that your spirit would fall upon our hearts and fill us that we might be inspired, that we might grow in our affections, not just towards you, not just towards your son that you sent to die for us, but that we would grow in our affections towards each other, that we would see what we're called to be together as a church body, and that we would commit ourselves to living out Not just what the covenant says, but the fact that the covenant's based on your word and what your word says to us. So help us this morning to have the eyes of our hearts opened up and have our minds given clarity to what your word says. That we might walk in holiness, that we might walk in unity, walk in peace together as those who have all been saved by nothing but your grace. That it's only by the cross that we are brought together, even this morning, to worship you. So use your word this morning to work in us and renew our commitment to each other and to you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you knew you were going to head on a difficult journey, and you were going to head in a journey in the wilderness, and you could bring three people with you, who would you bring? Now, some of you are contemplating already of whether it may be more important to bring a doctor rather than a family member with you. But you know what most of us here are not saying? I don't want anybody. Because we know that a journey through the wilderness, a a journey through a difficult time, we're going to come across situations where there's unknowns, things we don't know how to handle. We can all foresee potential things, dangers that to handle, and so we want someone there who knows how to handle them. However, when it comes to the journey of the Christian life, how many of us often live in such a way that proclaims, I don't want anybody. Sure, I may come to church, I may throw a name on the prayer list, I may even read for Advent, or I may come up and share at the Thanksgiving service. But when it comes to actually committing myself to the people here at church, or to be cared for by these people at church, or to care for these people at church, we quickly step back and start to build up walls around us. Because it's easy to play pretend at church, but it's a whole different thing to say, I'm going to commit myself to this church body. And so that's what brings us to our series this morning. We're going to spend the next three weeks looking at our church covenant, and it's in three parts, because our Church Covenant's in three parts, so we're going to do three weeks, one on each part. Gospel community, gospel transformation, and gospel sending. 
And at the end of these three weeks, I'm going to ask those who are members of this church that want to continue to be members of this church to sign the covenant again, recommitting yourself to it. There's some copies of it downstairs you can grab on your way out to look over it, or if you know you're not going to be here on the final day, you can turn it in early. But we would prefer for you to be here hearing these three messages to hear the basis for our covenant and what it is we're really committing ourselves to. If you're not a member, but you would like to become a member during this time, making this commitment with us, I just ask that you would talk to me at some point during this series, because we, as the church body, want to make sure that we're hearing your salvation story, making sure we're hearing your testimony of how you were saved, make sure that you see our other documents, our statement of faith, what we believe doctrinally about a whole number of issues, to make sure that we're all on the same board if you're going to commit yourself to the church and become a member. But what this is going to do for us is this is going to solidify for us who it is that's really on board at this church. We've had people leave before or during COVID and not come back. We've had people show up here and there sporadically during this time. But we as a church, we really need to know who's on the journey with us, don't we? We need to know who's coming alongside us, committing themselves to this church to walk together in the Christian life. Who is it that is going to hold us accountable, and who is it that we're going to hold accountable, right? That's kind of the point of church membership, accountability, right? Because if you just attend a church, but you're not a member of that church, then guess what? Anything can make you mad, and boom, you're out the door, and no one can hold you accountable anymore. Right? There's no accountability there. There's no chance for church discipline, which we'll get into another part of our covenant. That's not today. But there's no chance for any sort of repercussions if you just decide, I'm just going to walk out the door. You're free to abandon your, without any sort of commitment. So we want to commit ourselves to each other. So I'd like to start by reading just the first part of our church covenant, the gospel community part. It's there in your handout. It's there on the church covenant if you grabbed one on your way in, but it is in your bulletin on that first part of the half sheet that's inside your bulletin. It's right there. It might be in small print, but it is there nevertheless. But you can follow along there if you want. Gospel community. Having, as we trust, been brought by divine grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to give up ourselves to him, And having been baptized upon our profession of faith in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, we do now, relying on His gracious aid, solemnly and joyfully renew our covenant with each other. We will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We will major in the gospel and deal graciously with secondary and tertiary doctrinal issues. We will walk together in brotherly love, as becomes the members of a Christian church. Exercise affectionate care and watchfulness over each other and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. Now what I've done is I've broken down this portion of the church covenant into three categories, three things that we're going to look at this morning. Our salvation by Christ, our unity in Christ, and caring for each other in the likeness of Christ. Right? So let's go ahead and begin with the first part. Right? We're saved by Christ. This must be first and foremost in our minds as we commit together as a church. Right? We're making a commitment that everyone who's signing the covenant is genuinely saved. 
which begins with the first confession of what? That you need saving. Most of what we're going to look at this morning, and even in some of our other weeks, is going to be out of the book of Ephesians, because that deals with a whole lot of church things, and it has a lot to do with our church covenant. So when it comes to the need to be saved, if you have your Bible, unfortunately it's not up there, or you can just listen in, but we're going to be spending a lot of time in Ephesians. So if you want to at least just open up to there. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 11. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11, and listen to how it describes our need to be saved. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Did you catch all five pieces of that? What a miserable state we were in. Separated from Christ, alienated from Israel, which is God's people up until the New Testament, right? Strangers to the promises, no hope without God. So first and foremost, as we covenant together, we're agreeing that this was all of us. This was the state before Christ. This is what we're agreeing to. We were wretched before we came to know Jesus. So being in such a condition, we need divine help. That's what our covenant states, that we have been brought by divine grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to give ourselves up to him. You could have never been saved apart from God's grace working in your life. And that's what we see as we continue into Ephesians 2.13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Right? So all of us who were far off, right? This is talking not just of unsaved people, but specifically about us as Gentiles, right? That we were even further off because we were far away from Israel. We were not part of the Jewish people. We were far off. We were separated. We were alienated. We were strangers. But now, by the blood of Jesus, we have been brought near. Christ's death on the cross, of taking the penalty for your sinful life is what brings you near to God. It's only by His grace that you are brought to a place where you repent and believe in Christ's life, death, and resurrection. In fact, jump back to Ephesians 2, verse 8, and we see it stated as clear as it possibly can be. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. Not your doing, but a gift received through faith. And that's what the covenant says, brought by divine grace and brought where? To a point of repentance and belief. Or later it's described as we give ourselves up to Christ. 
as a church body, we want to be made up of people who have genuine faith, people who all agree together we have given ourselves up to Jesus. So if you're someone who comes to church as a mere ritual to keep someone else happy and not to worship the God whom you've given yourself up to, then this covenant isn't for you. You're still more than welcome to come to the church, but my prayer for you is that you would be saved by hearing the word, not that you would continue in your unbelief to think it's okay and just make a routine out of this. It is those who have faith, faith giving ourselves to God because we have turned away from our sinful life. We forsake the way of life that was without hope and without God, right? So we see it there in Ephesians 2, verse 8. It's saved by grace through faith, right? That's the believe part. But it also says, by divine grace, we've been brought to a place to repent. And that's what, where we see Peter in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost call people to do. Acts chapter 2. Verse 36, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Right? So there's kind of the end. He's doing a sermon right now. There's kind of the end of his sermon. Let all of Israel know God has made Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified. He is the Lord and Christ. Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, right, by divine grace, right, by God's grace working in them. They're cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? How shall we respond to this message that the Jesus who was crucified is both Lord and Christ? And then Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now he does talk about baptism. We're going to put that on the back burner just for a moment. We'll come back to it. But his first call is for repentance. Turn from your sinful ways. Give yourself to the Christ who was crucified. And what's the result? You will have forgiveness of your sins and be given the gift of the Holy Spirit. As those who commit ourselves to this church covenant, this should be all of our experience. Though it may look different in each of our lives, all of us, by divine grace, were brought to a point of repentance, turning away, and faith, and trusting ourselves to Jesus. And when we did that, we received forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now back to what we said, Peter does also include baptism, which we also include in our covenant, if you look there. After all, we are Switzerland Baptist Church. But let me be clear here from the get-go. Baptism does not save you. Point blank. You can repent and believe in Christ and not be baptized and still be saved. Otherwise, the thief on the cross has no hope. Plain and simple. He didn't have time to be baptized. However, if you have been saved, you should be baptized. Peter links it very closely here in this passage, doesn't he? What shall we do? What do we need to do to be saved? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. 
right? Now, baptism doesn't save you, but he's linking it so close to their salvation because it's this public declaration for them, right? For them being in a culture that's going to kill all the Christians they can find, for someone to go out to public water and say, I'm identifying myself as a Christian, as someone who has been united to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, they were putting a target on themselves, And Peter says, as soon as you repent, as soon as you get saved, go be baptized. It needs to happen. When you participate in this act, you are declaring that you have died to your old self and have been raised with Christ in newness of life. We do these sort of public declarations all the time, don't we? We wear clothing items that have a certain name brand on them to declare what type of clothes we like. We wear a shirt for our favorite team, whether it's a school or a professional team, declaring, there's where my loyalty lies. Or when we go eat at our favorite restaurant, if you're on social media, right, you share that you now are at this place, right, because this is your favorite place to go to. You're loyal to this place. We make all sorts of public declarations of who it is that has our loyalties. Baptism is the most important public declaration you could ever make. You're declaring you have been saved by Christ. You share in his death and resurrection, and you now forever are going to seek to be devoted to him in your life. And we do this because we want people to look at us, but not us, but see Jesus who has saved us. Christ is the basis for all of this for our repentance, for our faith, for our baptism. Christ is the foundation of all of it. Back to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Going on. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He brings us near by his blood. Christ is our peace. He breaks down the wall of hostility. He abolishes the law of commandments, not because he says the law is not important, but because he says, I have fulfilled the law. All of this in order to reconcile us back to God. There was a hostility, right, because of our alienation, our separation from God. There was a hostility between us and God, and Christ kills that hostility and reconciles us then back to God. For those who repent and believe, they now can have peace with God. That must be true of every person who signs this covenant. That has to be true of you. And as a result of being saved by Christ, it takes us there at the end of the paragraph, that we rely on his gracious aid as we make this covenant together. Look just quickly at Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. 
Just listen to this. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. You, as someone saved by Christ, are to work out. That doesn't mean you're constantly in the process of being saved. It means you're living out, figuring out what it means to be a saved person throughout your life. But what's the foundation of it? What's the salvation? What's the motivation for you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Because God is working in you for his good pleasure. So thus, we commit our, to spend our whole lives, yes, pursuing a life of holiness. But we do so relying on his gracious aid to understand the only way we can live the lives that we're called to live is by him. So we have this aim, this desire to live out our faith. But like we said at the beginning, it's a journey that we must realize we can't walk on our own. We need others around us who not only can help us in ways we can't help ourselves, but also those who are headed in the same direction we are. You ever been a part of a team or a group where each person in the team or group has different goals? Maybe it was a sports team, right, where there's that one person that they're only worried about padding their stats, right, and getting noticed, and so it doesn't matter what's going on with the rest of the team as long as they have a good game. Or maybe it's part of a school group, right, where you have some people in the group where they're like, we're just going to sit back and let you do all the work for us. We're just worried about the grade. You can do whatever you want. We get frustrated, right, don't we? We get held back, limited by people who are not headed in the same direction as us. But as a church, we're meant to all be headed in the same direction, helping each other along the path. So we have, second part here, unity in Christ. We are united in how we've been saved, what we now base our lives on, and in what direction we're all headed. Just look quickly, again, at Ephesians 2. We left off in verse 16, so jump into 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, there's a lot there, and we don't have time to cover every single detail of all of it, but just listen, right? In this society, there's Jews and Gentiles, those near, those far off. They're at odds with each other, but Christ brings peace to both of them. Peace in the sense that they both have access to God the Father by one Spirit. There's not two different ways to God. There's one way through His Spirit. 
They are united by the Holy Spirit in them. No longer strangers, but citizens together. Members of God's household. Jews and Gentiles become family in Christ. And then it goes on to describe it as a structure. Right? Christ as the cornerstone. The message of Christ by the apostles and prophets built as a foundation. And then the structure being built upon that. But what happens when you try to build, even on a solid foundation, but none of the boards on that foundation are joined with each other? How well does that structure hold up? Some of you have done plenty of this work before and could immediately tell me some experiences or stories of where maybe you left a board standing by itself, right? We need the boards to be joined with the other boards for the foundation to actually do its work, don't we? And as we join ourselves together, we are built, here it says, into a holy temple, a dwelling place for God. Much like in the Old Testament, if you wanted to see where God's presence was, go to the temple. Now, God's presence should be most clearly seen, most clearly displayed when church members join together. We are the temple now. There is no physical location to go to to find God's presence. God's presence dwells in each of us and even more so in us as we join ourselves as a body together. But we must not see this unity as just our foundation, but we must pursue this unity. Jump over to Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 3. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Now, verse 3. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The unity that we all have together as Christians in Christ, we should be eager to hold on to, to maintain that unity together. Does this sound like us? Would you say that when you walk in the door each week, you're eager to maintain the unity that we all have together in Christ? And as you continue on in these verses, you see the motivation for this unity. What is this unity in? Verse 4, one body. And one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. May this be a reminder for us, my friends. That as Christians, we have more in common with each other than you will ever have with anyone who's an unbeliever. I don't care if they're fervent fans of the same sports team, if they get excited by the same hobbies, or if they even struggle the exact same way you do because you have the exact same job. The unity that exists by having the same God Father, Son, and Spirit, the same faith in that God, the same baptism committing ourselves to that God, and the same hope for eternity to be spent with that God, that unity cannot be duplicated or subjected to any other unity. 
Just one example from Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 12. Just listen to this. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus just declared that even when it comes to his own family members, he has more in common with his disciples than he does about any family member who doesn't believe in him. That should say something to each of us. You have more unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ here at church, no matter who they are, than you have with any of your family members who are not walking with Jesus. And as a result of that, our covenant states, we will major in the gospel and deal graciously with secondary and tertiary doctrinal issues. Our focus will be on this unity, this gospel that saves us. And while we will, time after time, come across doctrines that we may disagree on, if they're doctrines that are not central to the gospel, we are going to handle those disagreements graciously. Let me state it plainly for you. If you sign this covenant, but then leave the church over a disagreement over the color of the carpet, or if you leave the church simply because something was said in the message that convicted you a little too much, you've ditched the unity. Not only have you broken the covenant you signed, you are sinning because you're not following what it says in Ephesians 4 to be eager to maintain the unity that we have together. And as we finish our last sentence of the church covenant, at least this portion of it, we find the commitment not only to maintain unity, but to actively care for each other in this church. We are to care like Christ. This covenant lists five different ways. Brotherly love, affectionate care, watchfulness, admonishing, and entreating. But some of these fit with each other, right? So let's just look at how Scripture calls us to do this. First, in Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Therefore... Be imitators of God as beloved children. Children obey their, or imitate their father. So if we're children of God, we imitate the father. And then he gives us a specific way. Verse 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Our love for each other in this church is supposed to be sacrificial. Or if you look at the other John 3.16, not the well-known one, but you look at 1 John 3.16, it says, we know true love by Christ laying down his life for us. So we also are to lay down our lives for our brothers. How sacrificial are we in caring for each other here at church? 
Just think about it in terms of your family members, right? Not family members here at church, family members apart from this church. What would you do to care for your family members? How sacrificial are you when one of your family members gets sick or has an injury? But we just saw, by Jesus' own words, that our church family is supposed to be the greatest unity we could possibly have. So how much do we give up, sacrifice, in order to love each other? To care for each other. That's the next word. The next commitment. We, from love to affectionate care for each other. We don't need much to explain what it means to care for each other, do we? We kind of get what the word caring for someone means. But I just want to mention two things. The fact that we include the word affectionate before care means something. What that means is... The word affections actually has to deal with our inner person, right? When we say we have affections towards someone, it's something inside of us. So here's the point. If you volunteer at church or tell someone you'll pray for them, but you only do it out of obligation, only from an external surface level, it's not affectionate care. It's artificial. In fact, one could even argue it's not genuine care at all. Whether you want to call it affectionate or not, it's not real care. I'm not saying some people aren't difficult to love. Not saying that. But what I am saying is that if we try to care from a distance and avoid any depth of relationship with certain people, we've missed what we're called to. We've missed what we're committing ourselves to. So that's the first part. Second part of affectionate care is this. In order for people to care about each other, we all have to admit that we need to be cared for. If you always answer the question of how are things going, if you always answer with all they're fine and good, it's hard for anybody to care for you. Yes, I'm saying this requires you to be vulnerable, to admit your failures, to reveal some of the struggles of what you're going through. But here's the point. Who else better to share it with than the very same people who say, you know what, I need God's grace just as much as you do as I walk this journey. I think this may be one of the toughest parts of church life, that we must open ourselves up to each other in order to truly care for each other. So we commit to affectionate care. Next, we commit ourselves to watchfulness which again goes hand in hand with care, right? If you have affections for someone, if you truly care about someone, right, you're, you're watching which direction they're headed in with their life. Just one passage here to look at, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So we see different categories of people, don't we? Faint-hearted, the idle, the weak. How do you know what category people are in? You have to watch them. You have to watch people's lives and be like, okay, is this person struggling with laziness or are they just weak right now with something going on? Okay, are they struggling with this or is it that they're just being, they're really discouraged, they're dealing with despair right now, right? And that then changes how we respond to the situation. We have to be watchful. 
So, yes, first and foremost, it requires them to be open, at least somewhat, but it also requires us to watch each other. You see who struggles with what in life. And we make sure nobody responds to the evil done to them with evil, but they always respond with good instead. I'll tell you what, when we go to the store anymore, and Sadie says, I don't want to ride in the cart, I want to walk. Talk about watchfulness, right? I mean, it's just like, I feel like I have like 10 antennas just like pop up the moment she says that and we start walking around the store. I'm watching her. I'm watching the people that just walked by that were watching her as they walked by. I'm watching the people up ahead in the aisles that are coming, seeing where we're headed. Do we watch over each other in the same way? Do we look at each other and say, okay, I see where, what, what they're going through. Okay, I see what just happened to them. Okay, what are the possible dangers that might be up ahead for this person? And last, we're going to put the two words together. We admonish and entreat one another. And we see this, right, in that First Thessalonians thing, right? We, we admonish the idol, right? And basically, these two words, admonish and entreat, sum up. We're going to respond appropriately based on what the situation is that the person is in. Each of us are in different spots in life. Some need to be admonished and say, get to work already. Some are in despair, and they just need someone to come alongside them and give them encouragement in what they're walking through. Some are weak, and they just need help. Maybe they need an extra set of hands or they need a certain resource of a a book or some sort of tool in their hands that they can use to help strengthen their abilities. We find a very good summary of this in Ephesians 4, verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. How do we help each other grow? Speak the truth in love. Two parts, right? First, in love, meaning you're watching the situation and see what does this situation require. Some people require a soft-spoken love. Some people require tough love. Right? A straightforward caution that gets their mindset right of, you're headed in a very harmful direction right now. While others are a little more sensitive and they just need a little more soft-spokenness to them. But then, the second part, we, we speak in love, but we speak the truth in love. You don't tell someone, I understand your pain, and then walk away. You don't come up to someone who needs admonishment and say, you're being reckless. See ya. You point them to the head who is Christ. And I don't mean this in sort of a generic way of, you're being reckless, get right with Jesus. I mean, you actually look at Scripture and you say, how does Scripture speak to this person's specific struggle, their situation of what they're going through? And you help them to see. Listen. Listen. By doing whatever it is you're doing, by responding however it is you're responding to the circumstances of your life, you're failing to believe this verse right now. 
You're not measuring up to this aspect of our faith of what we're supposed to be doing. And not in a way to condemn them, but to stir them. To increase their faith, to encourage their faith, to walk more faithfully with Jesus. You care for each other like Christ cares for us by pointing each other to the God who cares for us. You hear that? We care for each other in the way Christ cares for us by pointing each other to the God who cares for us. So my friends, this is what we must commit ourselves to if we're going to be gospel community. That we are saved by Christ alone. That we have turned from our old ways and we now strive to walk the journey of faith for all of our days. But then we look around and we realize we're all headed in the same direction with the same foundation. We have more unity with each other than with anyone else in this world. And as we walk this journey together, we commit ourselves to caring for each other along the way. Watching over each other. Speaking the truth in love to each other as we travel through this Christian life together. Will you commit yourself to such a life together? Will you commit yourself in this covenant to being a gospel community? Let's pray together. Father, we can be so tempted to go to all sorts of different groups of people, whether online or in person, that we think we have more in common with than anybody else. By the truth of your word this morning, inspired by your spirit, help us to realize one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one spirit, one hope, That's more unity than we could ever have anywhere else. So as a result of seeing our unity together as believers in Christ, may we commit ourselves to walking this journey together. May we commit ourselves to caring for each other along the way. Opening up ourselves that we might be cared for, and also being watchful over each other that we might see someone who needs care. May we speak the truth in love. Speak your word specifically in people's situations, but do it with an attitude that is appropriate for the situation. Admonishing some, entreating others, encouraging, helping, whatever the situation calls for. May we commit ourselves to that together as we go through this series of recommitting ourselves to the covenant, recommitting ourselves to you and to each other. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.